Hello and welcome to the channel that teaches you the things your teachers and parents are too afraid to. The Helios blog. Today, Jordan Peterson interviewed by Russell Brand about guess who? None other than Mr. Tate. Let's get into it. The reason she's alone is because she's difficult. Women are not accepting the bare minimum. Women fuck men they respect. All the women who say things like, I'm strong, independent, I don't need no man, like, y'all impress me. Women just gaslight each other and say what they want to hear. Wisdom, perhaps because in some kind of my cup runneth over type way, in true ecstasy, you might burst the bounds of the self and discover the transcendent through ecstasy. Although personally, I've discovered that's a dangerous route to ecstasy. Yeah, but you discover, but you discover something else there too, Russell. You know, one of the things Nietzsche pointed out very wisely was that most morality was convention and cowardice, right? And so, yeah, yeah. You know, indeed. I always see this when when people go after. Well, you've been in this in this in this in this ballpark recently, but I remember Tiger Woods, you know, and people pillorying him for his affair. Virtue is only virtue if you're choosing to say no to the options you have. If you're an optionless loser, you can't be virtuous. If you're a weak loser, you can't be. Um, what's it called? You can't hold yourself back. If 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 you're a you know monetary loser, you can't be modest, right? It's when you have those things and you choose to hold back that's when you get the price. You know that's when you can claim to be virtuous, not before. Fair affairs, and I look at a situation like that, and I think to all the men in particular who were you know, decrying Wood's immorality, which I don't approve of, by the way, and that's not my point, is like, look, buddy, if the Swedish bikini team was waiting for you in a bus when you were done your golf game, you'd be in there like a mad dog. Exactly. Most people don't have the power to resist such temptation, right? That's the point. You're only virtuous when you have the options and you choose not to capitalize on them. And so don't be playing any, you know, moral games because you're so useless. No woman will look at you. Exactly. No woman will touch me and therefore I'm celibate and moral. It's like, no, you're not. You're just... Stop the cop. Exactly. Contemptible and useless. And Indeed. you would fold at the first offered temptation. And for the women who are um, moralizing in an equivalent manner, it's like, you're so sure you wouldn't throw yourself at the feet of the first stellar celebrity that happened to wander into your line of vision, A, because... Just because that hasn't happened to you, because you are desirable enough or brave enough to make it happen, doesn't mean you wouldn't be susceptible to right. that temptation. Now, exactly. you know, Blake said wisdom through excess, and some of that can be the ecstasy of 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 what of the extreme. That was part of the attractiveness of the hippie culture. But it's also the case that if you do throw yourself into the palace of pleasure, let's say and allow your hedonistic excesses to make themselves manifest, you can also start to understand exactly how abusive and psychopathic you can become in that pursuit. And that's a form of transcendent realization too. Yeah. And maybe there's no way of coming. Like, I don't know if you can understand the human proclivity for evil until you've been in a situation where your own ability to manipulate and act in a 
what would you call instrumental, radically instrumental manner, actually had free reign because otherwise you're you're pro your potential. Right, as I said, you can't possibly be a good person, a nice person, unless you know that you're capable of the evils and you're restraining yourself from it, therefore showing you're virtuous. If you're a weak loser who's too afraid to risk and has never done anything bad ever because, uh, you know, you're not capable of it, then you can't claim to be good because you have no capacity for bad. Potential for corruption is hidden from you by your inadequacy. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Con- by, by the constraints, you neither know your potential for good, neither do you know your potential for evil, because you have been, as you said earlier, molecularized by a culture that wants you atomized and discharged and pa- exactly passive and a functioning merely as a consumer, thinking right. the thoughts of their yesterday, saying the words of their yesterday, free from the right. Actually, I didn't even consider that, but people that are, you know. Uh, on TikTok and constantly changing their way of speech, you know, to match the new the new trend or whatever it is. That that's an example of of that is living as a consumer, speaking their words of yesterday, right? Original thoughts, free from your original and indigenous condition, no longer an actor in your own life, merely an agent in their lives, reading their script. When you were talking about the spirit of com- communism being some unfolding entity that can replicate itself, I thought of some other synonyms that might be applicable, like virus and like Indeed. fractalism. As in- right. Well, of course, that's why they, they call it going viral, quote unquote. That's why they call it that. Because ideas can be transmitted like a virus, right, from person to person. And the ideas, right, the more people have them, the more people have them, right? If impacted within the individual is the potential for the whole that it can self-replicate, that there is a sort of uh, berserk wisdom that can be unleashed in the world. And I suppose when Dawkins came up with the phrase meme to be an, uh, an ideological uh, te- uh, mirror for Gene, it was this that he was referring to. Indeed. I was struck as well by something you were saying, and I'll, I'll remember it as I explain my point. Um, C.S. Lewis talks, you know, in one of his uh, advocacy pieces for Christianity of the atheist and rationalist scientist in their laboratory studying some faraway nebulae, determining from his lab on Earth that this far-flung cosmological destination will obey the rules of their rationalism, like which, again, Jordan, when we were talking about good and evil and indeed reality earlier, we touched upon the idea for how can we even discern an essential reality that is not subject to our sensory limitations and indeed our sensory paradigm. C.S. Lewis says that when they come up with the idea that there can be no God, they are... Interesting. Um, What I wanted to mention is just because a thing cannot be seen doesn't mean it's not there, right? That's how you can transcend your own uh, own ability to, to observe things by understanding that concept, right? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Also, the absence of something means something. These are two powerful ideas. Anyway. 
They are making this assessment based on the rationalism granted to them as a result of the processes of evolution that began 13.8 billion years ago with that sub-molecular explosion from which all the rules of reality unfold, leading to biological life eventually, Indeed. leading to the conscious ascent of mankind and ultimately the rationalism with which they make that verdict. Right. And ultimately, uh, the cause of which is yet unknown. That's what he's getting at. There is no God. How could we trust ever a conclusion derived from a set of processes that by their own arbitration is meaningless? I see you've got well, some thoughts. OK, OK. Well, well, look, um, one of the things that the prophet Elijah establishes, Elijah is the prophet that appears with Christ when he's transfigured along with Moses. And so in the Christian tradition, as well as the Jewish tradition, Elijah is held up as one of the two most um, important prophets, right? Okay, so why Elijah? Well, Elijah defeats the god of nature, Baal, and also is the first person to posit that whatever god is is identical with the still small voice within. That's actually a phrase from the book of Elijah, right? Right. So he identifies God within with conscience. Okay, now, well, think about why the materialists abandoned God. Well, the first mistake they made was assuming that God would be found in nature. Well, the Jews dispensed with that idea like 3,000 years ago. If you're going to look in nature, you're not going to find God because that's not where he is, right? And then the other thing that happens if you're a scientist is that you define what's real as what's objective. Well, if God has an aspect of the subjective, then of course, none of your scientific in investigations are going to reveal God because you made God not part of the game in the initial formulation of the rules. And you can't say, well, the rules forbid us to discover God and lo, we've not discovered God. It's like... I see. So what Jordan is saying is God doesn't live in that world. So how can you discover him there? He doesn't exist there. That's very interesting. I, I've, I've never considered that. The, the idea that the reason why you can't find God in nature, uh, which includes space and so on, is because God exists outside of nature, right? Is a f which means he's fundamentally not a phenomenon you can observe using regular methods of observation. And, I mean, you could make that argument for that's, that's like, that you have a feeling that there's a greater power means that maybe there is a greater power, right? It's, it's an interesting concept. All right, let's continue. Well, you excluded him to begin with. Now, I would say, and this is why I'm actually, I believe I'm going to be speaking with Dawkins publicly at some point in the relatively near future. And I'm looking forward to that because... There is a rigor in the exclusion of God that's actually part of rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Like, we shouldn't be confusing God with what isn't God. And right, right, one right. of the sci things... Exactly. Sci Scientifically observable, observable phenomena are not God. So they are in two different realms. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about. Scientists have done, the Enlightenment types have done, is certainly help us figure out where God isn't. And that's not, well, and no, and that's... And that doesn't mean that it's a useless endeavor or it's a useless observation. No, it's true. 
that careful, delineated, reductionistic thought has also massively expanded our technological ability and brought with it the possibility of a kind of abundance that was undreamed of before that. Exactly. Now, I don't think that can last or maintain itself without its own destruction in the absence of an overarching ethos within which it's embedded. But you don't want to throw the baby. Right, right, right. Exactly. So what he's saying is if your only concern is progress, you're going to inherently destroy yourself. You need an ethos. You need some kind of underlying rule that puts limiters on it, right? With, uh, which I guess would be called ethics baby out with the bathwater but the 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 reductionist materialists who say there's no god in the reductive materialist world it's like well yeah what's your point you're 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 you've already forbidden the evidence that would convince you from even existing you're looking in the wrong places like i look i think well what's the what's compelling existence for the transcendent unity of all things, let's say, if we're maybe we can use that as a working definition of God. It's well, the alternative is a dreadful plurality. We already walked through that. What can you identify that unity with? Well, love's not a bad first pass approximation. Is it a relationship? Well, you have a relationship with your conscience, that pesky, mysterious little thing. Your your interest compels and calls to you like the burning bush called to Moses. That's the same sort of notion. Part of the reason that, you know, and, and Jung said this, part of the reason that modern man can't find God is because, well, he's looking in the wrong places, that's for sure. But Jung also... That's a hilariously funny. That's, that's, a, that's a funny statement. He can't find... They can't find him because they're, they're not looking in the right place. They're looking in nature for God. And of course, you, you can't find God there because God isn't in nature. God is the creator of nature. Right, God is the underlying thing that allows for it to exist. Although, arguably, one would say that that's actually not what allows it to exist. The, the fundamental particles and so on allow it to exist. But what is the thing that allowed the fundamental particles to exist? And there you go, you know. And then you say, well, it's the Big Bang. Okay, and then we go one step before and there, there's the rub also said that, you know, modern people wouldn't look low enough. Maybe you discover God in the radical realization of your own insufficiency and sinfulness. You know, that's a classic idea. And I, I also I also think that's true. Yeah, I think that is the case. You know, yeah. you, you I became convinced of the religious substrate of existence, mostly from studying evil, not from studying good. Huh. Indeed. It's like, yeah. And also in also in despair in uh, in uh, Bethlehem the king will come not in the palaces of your life or in the opulence of your life but when you're down among the animals in the manger this right uh, I've heard this expression before the devil can take many forms a book a woman but when you're alone the devil takes his true form the devil comes personally this is where the king will be born. This is where the chosen one will be found. Um, oh, man, I've got so many questions. One the lowly. Is, yeah, the lowly, the lowly, the lowly. 
Um, I want to say that at the beginning of this, we were sort of, I was talking about the sort of like, uh, you know, the daring to pose the sort of current Middle Eastern conflict as uh, uh, potentially a symbolic event and perhaps as a precursor to like that sort of prof- that um, consistent and profound Old Testament idea, the messianic event. And if indeed uh, Christianity offers anything new, as you said, it's the literal uh, embodiment of that prophecy found notably in Isaiah, but I'm sure elsewhere, I know this is your turf. So uh, what I would say is, is that when we are, uh, and, and also another thing I wanted to touch upon there, that when you were talking about uh, the uh, t- technological ascent, progressivism, and the age of abundance, you talked about that potentially being housed within a rubric that included a component of the divine and the unknowable, and the potential inclusion of the subjective Interesting to note, of course, that when these uh, these explorations and investigations are conducted, they always buttress and buttress hard against consciousness itself, whether it's within the double slit area or indeed just trying to determine what subjectivity might actually be. And this, I... You know, again, perhaps consciousness is God, right? Maybe that's what it is. You know, it's us all linked to each other with this thing that makes us more than meat bags that are just you know reflexes and and desire you know desire for um food and sex and so on i don't know it's complicated this this is um what's the question uh this is not a this is the a question of philosophy as opposed to um a question of science idea indeed of the, uh, the the symbolic itself being the interface between the psyche and the material touches upon a Jungian idea that I know is important to, I imagine is important to you, certainly it seems important to me, vital at this time, that synchronicity ultimately becomes the observed lack of distinction, the porousness between the inner and outer worlds, that if indeed there will be a symbolic end time, a rapture, an apocalypse, an Armageddon, the thing that it feels sometimes that I've been personally facing and perhaps we're globally being confronted with right now live on your TV set, is it possible that we are sort of experiencing some aperture, some birth some you know almost in a wb8 potentially in a wb8 way you know like slouching towards bethlehem this dreadful thing or could it be and is part of our shared goal here to discuss the potential of a return of christ that might not be personal and i god knows i don't know what the christians mean by it but a kind of an awakening within us all that acknowledges that what we have to recognize is that there is an overarching ideology around technology progressivism materialism and individualism and that ideology is unitive darkly unitive it is a shadow force uh, it is satan it is the idea that we that that what the, the the end point of this is one central authority one central ideology denial of nature denial of god the hedon Interesting. That is that is something I've never considered before. But perhaps, perhaps the satanic idea of individualism and uh, greed, like that's embodied in the West, and you know is is headed for global global markets. Uh, arguably, it's already hit in every single market on Earth. 
it's 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 an interesting concept that once every human being believes in this radical individualism and so on that satan has won right and, and it's time for another reset and it's a very interesting idea and pleasure as a substitute for divine connection and that only the ultimate sacrifice the denial of the, the ego the ultimate sacrifice the denial of the self the small self is the only key the only vessel the only branch that we can offer to some potentially forgiving god are we at this point now so william william james who was the father of modern psychology and wrote a very interesting book on religious experience, varieties of religious experience, claimed, and this is partly what he was looking for, that human beings needed the moral equivalent of war. And you, you actually see that reflected in certain streams of Islamic thought um, that call for the jihad that's an inter internal jihad rather than an external war. Now, I would say that Jung proclaimed that any state of inner contradiction that wasn't played out and faced psychologically would be made manifest in the world as fate, right? Which means that those things that you choose to ignore will rise up and hit you in the face. Well, that's what's happening as we descend into this war. Like This war is a false adventure. Right. It's an externalization of the apocalypse. That's a good way of thinking about it. And it's something that should occur within. And it if that war occurs within, it doesn't have to occur in the world. First of all, war becomes a non-attractive option. You know, we 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 don't understand that the call to war is extremely exciting to people who lack sufficient adventure in their life. If you Right, exactly. If you have nothing to do. You're bored and twiddling your thumbs. You're a loser, you know, sitting in a corner with nothing, right? And you think that you'll always have nothing. Then war is a very attractive concept. Oh, I'll go, you know, I'll go somewhere and I'll be somebody, right? You look at the history of mobilization attempts, let's say at the beginning of the First World War in the UK, say... Men were lining up enthusiastically to go fight in this glorious war that would all be over in a few months when they eradicated yeah. the weak enemy and they'd come happen. home to glory. And that that call to adventure is extremely exciting and maybe even irresistible if you don't have enough adventure in your own life. Indeed. And you might say, well, how do you find as much adventure in your own life as you would find in a war? And the answer is you conduct... I would I would argue that the way to do that is to fill your time. You have to build a full life. And once you have a full life, you won't desire a war because you'll already be living one. It's the internal jihad, as it were. A sufficient war internally. Indeed. You know, and that means, and this is, I would say, in, in many ways, this is the central message of a psychologized Judeo-Christianity. It's like the fundamental cosmic battle between good and evil is is within yourself. Yes. And I think that's true. And if it isn't fought in the soul, it will be fought out in the world. Right. And so you call upon people to... Right. You're fighting for self-actualization. You're fighting to become a great person yourself. Right. And if you, you know, when, you, when this has failed, then... Yeah, it's a very interesting idea.
fight it out in their soul. But that's a I don't think there's any difference between that, by the way, and the notion that you're to hoist the cross of 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 mortality and and malevolence on your own shoulders. It's the same thing. They if you're going to have an internal struggle that's as intense as an external war would be as a substitute for that war, then that's going to be, well, in many ways, as brutal as the war. And that's a hell of a thing to ask people to do. But but like with many properly moral choices, the only thing that worse than doing it is what happens if you don't do it. Right, exactly. It's hard, Jordan, to imagine that now that we've been sort of plumped and fatted and made prisoners of comfort, that on mass there could be the type of awakening required for people to undergo the true jihad, the true apocalypse, the true inner revelation that is required to, for us to, as a planet, abstain from war, the, to have the uh, tonic to not fall into what appears to be the manifestation of our collective inability to stop casting out the shadow. It's curious that, you know, in order to go to war, of course, <laughs> words have words have failed me all too often and to the point where violence is all that's left, that... You know, in a sense that we've all played out uh, Baldwin's maxim there that, you know, what kind of culture creates the category of Negro and what characteristics do we attribute, i.e. the dancing, the sexuality, the violence. It's very telling about the nature of a host culture for what it will cast out onto its opponent. And of course, uh, uh, perhaps it's even in a conversation with you that, you know, consistent across the world, enemies are defined as having these shadow traits. Right. They are dirty. They are disgusting. They are worthy to be killed. So Indeed. often when they're people subhuman. feel that kind of personal despair that's, that they're likely to feel these days, you know, I feel it myself. It's uh, how do we stoke, because uh, I know that this is part of your personal mission, how do we stoke in them those fires? How do we awaken in them the significance? How do we do it for me, God damn it, forget them. Uh, like, how do we awaken? <laughs> how, do we aw how do we awaken the sort of the willingness to, you know, to pick up the sword or pick up the cross or pick up whatever it is? I think we do remind, we do remind people that they're built for adventure and not for comfort. And uh. Young right, you have to start by having a call. I want to do X, and you go out and you damn well do it. You take one step and another step and another step, and that's it. That's all that's required. All that's required is every every freaking day to take another step. And that's it. When you do, it works. Alright guys, we're going to end the video there. Hit the like, hit the sub, hit all for notifications, drop me a donation like Hunter M, Adrian Otton, Bobby, and Dylan. Shoutouts to you. Most recent purchase of Strategist Guide to Seduction and Quiz to Live By. Thank you. My Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash theheadiestblog. If you're interested in coaching, message me at theheadiestblog at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys, especially if you listen to the end. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.